You're listening to Get Connected. Thanks for joining us today. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar in the studio. We've got a really cool show for you uh, today. Lots to talk about in the tech world. Uh, we'll be having uh, a chat with Brian Jackson, the editor over at itbusiness.ca, about what the new Liberal government means for Canada's technology policy. Fascinated to hear his thoughts on that. We'll also uh, be chatting with uh, Ted Christonis about uh, Rogers launching new gigabit internet and uh, specifically to deal with uh, the high ultra-definition televisions that are out there, the new 4K TVs and live 4K sports broadcasts and how that's all going to go down. And if you're on Facebook, and who isn't nowadays... You're probably familiar with uh, On This Day filter feature. This is basically every so often you'll come to your Facebook news feed and a little thing will pop up. On this day, back two years or five years, uh, it'll uh, show you a little time capsule of what happened that day, which is kind of cool for a lot of people, but sometimes there's bad news that comes up in that news feed. Yeah, Shane, uh, he, he's an editor over at the Globe and Mail for the tech section, and uh, he wrote a great article about how that On This Day feature went awry for him. And so we're going to kind of learn what that's all about, how it works in the back end, and what Facebook is doing to prevent from this On The Day feature from going, uh, you know, reminding you stuff that you probably wanted to forget. <laughs> like a death in the family or a breakup? Exactly, because you've got to remember, Facebook is not a human being. It can't discern what, it, what is important to you and what uh, you posted on Facebook that you posted because you wanted to get some sympathy, but you probably want to keep it out of your memory. And so it's going to be a fascinating discussion with that. Lots of interesting stuff in uh, the tech news uh, this, uh, uh, this week, Andy. Uh, this one was interesting. Uh, a lot more people are using Amazon. Uh, to buy stuff. Uh, down the U.S., it's huge. In Canada, becoming more and more popular. Uh, one of the things that people appreciate about uh, Amazon is the uh, online review feature. So if you're looking at a product, maybe a new dishwasher, for example, you can actually read the reviews of people that have purchased this particular product on Amazon. And, and it's kind of cool because you really get a good sense of, uh, you know, other people's experiences. Uh, they do like a, you know, one to five star rating. So you can kind of see if that product, uh, you know, according to these reviews, is going to work for you or not. Is it, is it a good product? Kind of like the word of mouth that you would get if you were talking to your friend who bought something similar and they kind of yeah. give their thoughts. Um, yeah, that's what Amazon has been doing with their reviews. And so one issue, I guess, is that uh, there are apparently fake reviews up there. So uh, some companies uh, are actually paying people to give their products actually like four or five star reviews uh, you know through the internet so do you know what they call that it's called astroturfing astroturfing <laughs> to the reference to astroturf which is kind of synthetic grass it's really the the same type of uh, thing because you're planting fake reviews rather than real reviews and you're seeing this a lot and for the end user Mike it's really hard to discern sometimes what is a legitimate review and what one is fake and a lot of small businesses now are looking at their marketing budget and saying, instead of spending all this money, why don't we just pay for people to give us fake reviews? And then uh, that should help us increase sales on Amazon. But it looks like Amazon is cracking on that because when they, people do that, it is completely tarnishing the reputation of those reviews. But it's not just to Amazon. There's a bunch of other sites that are having this issue as well where people are posting fake reviews. And, you know, that's the challenge. You don't know these people. I mean, they're all, you know, anonymous people up on the Internet, and 
with that uh, anonymous, anonymous, I can't even say Anonymity. It. Thank you. <laughs> you know, who do you trust? Exactly. And so one of, the, one of the big companies that's having this problem is Yelp. Because a lot of people, and Yelp is the basically where you go to review like restaurants and other kind of small businesses. And what they're finding is a lot of people on Yelp and a lot of the reviews are fake. And uh, this is really causing a problem because you don't really know what is true and what is fake on Yelp. And uh, they're trying to combat that as well. But I think what's really happening, Mike, is that there's a lot of foodie bloggers out there. And these foodie bloggers basically will go to restaurants and ask or at least tell them I'm a Yelp reviewer looking to get better service and threatening them if they don't get that good service that they're going to give a bad review on Yelp. And so, you know, this is uh, one of the issues that is happening, not just for Amazon, but Yelp and other websites that have reviews. Yeah, it's funny, Andy, you know, a lot of these companies, uh, they can actually buy these fake reviewer people for like five bucks a post Mm -hmm. on Fiverr. Yeah, exactly. And it's an ongoing problem with the industry. And if the companies that are posting these reviews don't do something about it, like I said before, they're going to lose complete credit credibility. What's funny, I was watching an episode of South Park the other day, and they did a whole episode on Yelp reviewers, these foodie bloggers who who basically consider themselves food critics now because they, they write reviews on Yelp, going to restaurants and pretty much demanding that they get special treatment. And if the restaurant doesn't do that, they'll get a bad review on Yelp, which can affect you know the businesses, depending on how many stars you get as a restaurant review. Um, it that's can crap, affect your crappy. business. It, it, it is, and yeah. it's an ongoing problem with the industry. I thought that was funny that South Park was addressing this issue <laughs> on the show. It was kind of funny. But um, I, when, when I look at these reviews, I have to take it with a grain of salt because I don't know what is, re- what is true. You can kind of tell by the way they word it. If they are just completely like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Yeah, you five can, stars. Five stars, just yeah. like that. You can kind of determine, right? You want like those critical reviews, the good, the bad, and then their final verdict. That's when you know that it is something credible to look at. Another interesting uh, bit of news here this week, Andy. Uh, streaming music is becoming more and more popular. Uh, Spotify, RDO, Deezer. Uh, Apple jumped into that whole world as well with Apple Music. And they've announced, uh, Tim Cook has announced that they now have six and a half million paid users within months. Yes, that's six and a half million paid users on top of eight and a half million people that are participating in the free trial. Additional. Additional. Yeah. So they got a total of about 15 million people using Apple Music and they just came on the scene this year, which is pretty remarkable. It just shows how big Apple is. When they get into a game like that, they can dominate the industry. Well, you know, I said that when they first came in because, you know, I was reading a lot of... uh, um, Reviews basically saying, you know, Apple's going to have a hard time ahead of them. There's already these big players like Spotify and, and RDO. But, you know, you, you can't underestimate the sheer size and uh, ecosphere that Apple has created with iTunes. You know, there's like hundreds of millions of people that have credit cards tied to their iTunes account. Mm-hmm. So it's an easy step for them to go, yeah, you know what? I could use Apple Music for another $10 a month. Whereas these other companies, you got to go in and sign up, and it's a whole other process to do that. Well, you were an RDO subscriber, and you just recently switched to Apple because of the family plan. What, what's your thought about that? You know, i, I got to tell you, I like it. I love RDO. It's great. Uh, but I've got five members in my family, and so, you know, the one user, it's uh, 10 bucks a month. 
for an additional user, I think it's then, you know, goes up to 15. And so for everyone to listen to their music, and you can only have one person on one uh, subscription at a time listening, uh, people people were in, in my family were cutting each other off mm -hmm. using this uh, the service so with apple music they got the family plan for $15 a month i can have six people in my family all with their own accounts and which that is makes like amazing it, well it's great because another thing is your family is all on apple devices but it looks like they're going to start opening it up for android as well because that's a huge user base that they haven't even tapped into yet and i think they'll be very successful if that happens Spotify better watch out because currently Spotify, I think, has about 20 million paid subscriptions worldwide. Yeah. But they've been around for a couple of years now. Yeah. So Apple is creeping up on them very soon. I think at the end of the day, though, the question is, do the artists actually make money no. who are using no. this? No. So is this business model even they sustainable? Have no choice. They have no choice. I, I agree because everybody's listening habits are changing. I used to download music all the time back in the day, like you know, via torrents and stuff. Yeah. I don't do you, that anymore. Yeah, because you just do the subscription. I don't, but I, I'm a, a free subscription on Spotify, and I've gotten really used to having these ads. Oh, so you're not even paying it? No, I'm not paying. But you're doing it legally. I'm doing it legally. I am participating. I'm helping the artists. You know, they might get like a fraction of a penny every time I listen to it. But it's funny because what Spotify does is they try to give you like three months for 99 cents. That's all you have to pay. And I know why they're doing this. They want to make it so that you can't go back to free after. It's yeah, such a great right. service. But what I've found myself doing is uh, basically listening to playlists. And then from playlists, I would find music and I would, that I like. And then I would create my own playlist yeah. so I can listen to it again. And uh, it's such a, from the, from the user's point of view, it's great. As long as you have internet and you know, you've got a good data plan or you're at home with Wi-Fi, you have access just about any type of song you could think of. Like, with a couple of clicks, you can listen to it. I know. You know, my parents are moving into a new place. They're downsizing from their home into a new apartment. And I really want to get them set up with, like, digital music because you should see their collection of CDs. And they just listen to either CDs or, or the radio, which is great. But, you know, they're really missing the whole world of these subscription services where they can literally pick any song that they can ever remember mm -hmm. on there. I mean, it would really open up their world to it. So, uh, you know, the trick is getting it set up so it's easy to use as well. Exactly. Um, it, it's a different way of consuming content. So it's going to take, if you, if you get baby steps with them, I think over time they could totally get into it. When we come back from our break, we will be talking uh, with our friend Shane Dingman about uh, Facebook's On This Day feature and uh, what is Facebook doing to fix it? I mean, yes, it's great to see some of these past events that are happy, but what about uh, the ones that you don't want to remember? You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. We're broadcasting across the Chorus Radio Network throughout Canada. Of course, you can listen to us online and through uh, the Chorus Radio app. Available for iPhone and Android uh, as well. Coming up a little later in the program, we've got some uh, great guests. We'll uh, be talking about the new Rogers Gigabit Internet for uh, 4K live sportscast broadcasts. And uh, we'll also uh, be chatting about uh, what uh, the new Liberal government might mean for Canada's technology policy. On the line right now, we've got Shane Dingman. He's the editor over at uh, Globe Technology with the Globe and Mail to talk about Facebook. Thanks for joining us, Shane. Hey, guys. I guess you're the resident Facebook expert. It seems that way. We have actually a social media team, but, uh, you know, 
I, I'm the one who gets to write about stuff. They tell me usually half the time what I should be writing about. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is kind of an interesting uh, article you wrote. Uh, it's about uh, the On This Day feature on Facebook. And for listeners out there, they might have come across this. A little thing comes up in your news feed, and it, it might show you uh, a little kind of time capsule of two years ago or three years ago, uh, maybe a birthday or a special event. Uh, but for some people, this is not a great feature because it reminds them of bad times as well. Yeah, that was certainly my experience. Uh, I think one of the things that we have to remember about Facebook is this was initially designed for college students, and I think it's whatever, about 10 years old now. And, you know, those people are getting older, but they're still not at the stage where maybe they're starting to have issues with parents or maybe they're not even, or they're just getting into divorce season perhaps. In my instance, I got my first on-this-day notification a year after, a year to the day when my dog died and I <laughs> notified people on Facebook and there was an outpouring of sympathy because, of course, my dog was beautiful and I loved her very much. But that's not the kind of thing that I would call highly engaged content that I want to be reminded <laughs> of the future. That's how Facebook viewed it because Facebook ran a dumb algorithm on every post that I posted and said, hey, guys, this post is awesome. Let's remind Shane. Um, which, again, I super did not appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because my kids actually got one of those as well about our dog who died uh, a couple of years ago, and I thought, Facebook, what's going on? But, you know, this this could be a big problem for them if uh, they start serving up this type of content uh, to people who, you know, like you said, don't want to be reminded. Yeah, so one of the things, the reason I wrote about this um, recently was because they did finally, after about a year of having this uh, sort of in the works and in beta, added some features to help you filter out that stuff. Previously, there was no way to sort of um, modify the kind of stuff that would show up in On This Day unless you just turned it off completely, which is what I did. But uh, if you didn't know it was there, it would just have popped up and perhaps a bad experience. So now what they do is they let you filter. And they do it by two ways. They let you do it by tagged individuals. So like, a, you know, a person, let's say, a bad breakup happens, you can just go into your notification settings and you can say, no more reminders of Sharon or Jim. Uh, please. Uh, or you can do it by a time. So if there's a particularly horrible month in your life and you never want to remember it again, Facebook will let you choose a time and say, anything that I posted in this time, please don't tell me about it on this day. Um, which, hey, I appreciate the ability to get a little more granular about what I want to be reminded of. On the other hand, it's still the same problem because what it does is forces you to sort of undergo a sadness audit um, of your life and say, what are the things I really hated and I really never want to experience again? Oh, yeah, I remember them now. Now I'll tell Facebook not to remind me of them. Like, you know what I mean? It sort of defeats the purpose. But I get what they're going, at least, to try to offer users more control. It's great. It's just, unfortunately, the main issue here is that Facebook is bad in emotions, I think. I think they're just not used to the idea that things that people post on their site are not uniformly joyful. Like, they, they think that everybody who's on Facebook is having a party, and they're at Cabo, and it's great. But, of course, people also use that to let you know that their parents are sick or that they're running for cancer or something like that. And, you know, maybe that's not the kind of thing that, you know, people should be reminded of later on if things don't go well. I guess Stephen Harper and Tom Mulcair could go in there and fix those settings. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, you know, that's it's, not it's interesting, though, Craig, because think of it this way. I think it's been it's come up recently that, like, you know, forgetting and deleting and all those things, that's a privacy setting, right? Like, the, the right to be forgotten is a privacy setting. Uh, removing old Twitter posts, which is a thing people do now, like just anything from a month ago just disappears, that is a privacy setting, essentially. Um, Facebook doesn't want you to delete its old, your old posts. 
So they're trying to give you reasons to, to leave that stuff up, even though I think that they're still bad at finding ways to remind you of it in a, in a, in a programmatic way. They, they don't make it easy. No. No. Well, you know, Shane, you made a good point there. It's that you actually have to be proactive now and inside Facebook say, okay, please delete this period of my life or I had a really nasty breakup with this person. I should have never added them on Facebook once I dated them. And like, I, I think that's, uh, for a lot of people, they're not going to take that time to do that. So they're going to start to see these types of posts coming up on their feed in the near future. Right. And it, it isn't this exactly the kind of thing Facebook does, right? Like They, they make things sort of uh, reverse onus. It's on you if you don't want to have this awful thing happen to you. You know, um, like if a, a negative picture appears or an advertisement that crosses some sort of trigger for you comes up, you know, you can report it. Like, and then you tell, have to tell Facebook, oh, here's what I think. I would like you not to do this for this reason. But, I mean, even in those instances, you know, have you ever tried to ban something from Facebook from another person's feed or from an advertiser? If you're like, sort of drill down, eventually what it'll probably say to you is it will actually suggest you contact the person personally and do it yourself, <laughs> um, which is like, hey, <laughs> you're the network. You're, you're feeding me all this stuff. If I have a problem with what you're feeding me, I should be able to tell you. I, don't, you know, I shouldn't have to take it on my own self to go and track down the guy who keeps posting pictures of dead animals or whatever, you know, so. So no more dead animals on your Facebook feed? Basically, I'm anti-animals on my Facebook feed. If I could just do away on Facebook, they don't remind me of anything upsetting. That'd be great. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't even know what upsetting is. They, they have no upsetting feature. Well, you know, it's funny. In my piece, I kind of link this all to Facebook's attempt to modify the like, right? Yes. Like that they, they're in a few countries now, Spain and Ireland, they try to expand out what like means. Because like is, is a very positive emotion. But obviously, there are things on Facebook that you don't want to like. There are things you maybe want to be mad at. But even in its new you know, sort of multi-emoticon sort of view, view of things. There's no sadness icon. The, the saddest icon they have on there is a sort of straight line emo emoji, you know, the sort of neutral face. Yeah. It's like some things are just bad. They're not neutral. And Facebook still can't really recognize that. I guess one thing at a time, Shane. Shane, uh, where can people find out more about you? Well, I'm at, uh, at Shane Dingman on Twitter, and, of course, you can always follow at Globe Technology for all sorts of new stuff we're doing. Thanks, guys, for giving me a chance to plug myself. <laughs> You're welcome, Shane. That was Shane Dingman, editor over at Globe Technology with the Globe and Mail. When we come back from the break, we'll be uh, talking about ultra-high-definition sports streaming. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. Mike Eggerbo here with Andy Brewer. we still got lots of uh, great uh, stuff to talk about still. Uh, a little later, we'll uh, be chatting with Brian Jackson over at uh, itbusiness.ca. He's the editor there. Uh, about uh, what the Liberal government means for Canada's technology policy. So we'll get some of his thoughts on that. Right now, though, we're going to talk 4K and uh, Internet access speeds, live sports. On the line, we've got uh, Ted Christonos. He is a uh, uh, an awesome tech journalist. Uh, thanks for joining us, Ted. Hey, thanks for having me. So you wrote a really interesting uh, article uh, about... Uh, uh, what Rogers is looking to roll out uh, back uh, back east uh, as far as uh, dealing with these uh, new ultra-high-definition uh, sports broadcasts. Uh, and obviously that's something that's still uh, widely watched uh, on regular television and, and more and more now streamed uh, as well. Uh, sports very, very popular. But, uh, of course, when you're watching sports, you want the best quality picture possible. And uh, with a lot of these new televisions... Uh, that's uh, the 4K. And so it sounds like uh, Rogers is uh, looking to deal with that. 
Yeah, it's kind of a perfect storm for them because, and, and I don't think the timing is an accident, which is actually a question I posed uh, to the CEO, Guy Lawrence. Uh, I suggested that is the Blue Jays' success part of the reason why the announcement was made now? Because it seems coincidental to me, well, maybe not so coincidental, that uh, all of the Jays' home games next season are going to be broadcast in 4K. And so the Jays actually are taking more precedence over the Leafs. Um, and I think even though even though Rogers owns all of uh, the Jays and, and part of the Leafs, uh, I still found that interesting. I found the timing interesting. I think the reason why this works is because they own all the pieces in the vertical. I mean, they own the team. They own the equipment that they're going to need to do this. They own the channel that's going to broadcast the games. <laughs> So, and then they're going to. They also own, of course, the uh, infrastructure to get this to people's homes, as well. So, when you have all those pieces in place, you can put this thing together and get it out there faster than even other broadcasters or other companies around the world. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this rolls out across the rest of the country. As you're saying, Rogers owns, uh, you know, all the pieces in between there uh, as well. Um, are, are people going to need new hardware to take advantage of this? They will, yeah. There is a, uh, a set-top box that will be needed to do this. Now, they haven't announced pricing for this box. I imagine, though, it won't be very cheap. And I am assuming that they will offer it on a sort of monthly rental fee like they have uh, for years with their cable boxes. Uh, now, the reason, of course, is that this box is not a cable box uh, like the traditional. In the traditional sense, it is effectively... Uh, pulling in the, uh, the, the, the gigabit um, uh, internet signal that's required to, uh, to make all this happen, because the amount of bandwidth required to uh, stream games in uh, 4K is enormous, which is why you're basically getting, once you sign up for this, uh, which is 150 a month, that's where it starts at, you're basically getting unlimited internet. Um, and that's purely because, uh, I mean, the amount of the amount of, uh, of bandwidth required is enormous uh, just to stream a game. I think for a game, if it's a, if a game is typically three hours, you're probably looking at close to thirty gigs. So, yeah, they they would yeah. have to do that. <laughs> so they, yeah. they, it looks like they've got a couple of tiers here. Um, you've got that the new gigabit speeds, which I mean is enormously fast. Uh, you know, you look at some of the uh, available speed limits out here, out west, for example, with Shaw uh, and uh, Telus. Uh, you know, their upper end right now, I think, is like 100 megabits. Uh, you know, the new yeah. gigabit is 10 times faster than that. It is, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's crazy speed. Uh, it is a crazy speed based on what we're seeing today. You know, and it's it's interesting because even a couple of years ago, 35 was fast. Yeah. Uh, you know, 35 was being marketed as being sort of a fast, and you can go to 50. And um, so the jump is quite quite large. I mean, to go from, I've seen, you know, 100, there's 250, depending on where you live. Uh, you might be able to get 250. You might even be able to get higher than that. I know out east, uh, in, in the Maritimes, uh, with East Link, you can get some very, very high speeds uh, as well, actually. And Bell Alliant uh, has some very high speeds as well. I think close to a gigabyte already. Uh, close to a gigabit already, actually. So, uh, so the speeds are some speeds are there already. Like the speed, these speeds are already they already exist in some parts of the country, 
but to roll it out to millions of homes in multi, multi, you know, multiple provinces uh, is, is going to be interesting to see how people take to it because you're essentially asking consumers to replace a $150 cable bill with a $150 Internet bill. And that's uh, Yeah, that's still a lot of money for a lot of people. But I can tell you one thing, Ted. I, I think the television manufacturers that are creating these ultra 4K TVs are probably very happy about this because that's been one of the issues of them um, selling these units, these brand new TVs, is there was no content. And we saw that Netflix started to announce that they're going to be streaming in 4K. But now you get a player like Rogers doing it, especially for sports. Um, that's a, a, a big blessing for the TV manufacturers. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, the TV manufacturers love it when when there's content available to display what it is they're doing. So, as we all remember, I mean, we've all been in this in this industry for for so many years now. We we remember 1080, you know, like HD basically from going from SD to HD. Uh, what a difference that was, and, and how people really took to that. Now, of course, the jump from SD to HD, in my opinion, is a little bit more noticeable than it is from 1080p to 4K. Uh, but nonetheless, because people are going with bigger screens, people want the 70-inch screens now. Uh, at that size, I think you will notice a, a considerable difference between 1080p and, and 4K, especially for sports. And sports is one of the main reasons why people even hang on to cable connections uh, or cable um, subscriptions now, is because it's, it's hard to get it at the highest quality otherwise. Well, I like the way the trend is going here uh, with those plans that Rogers has uh, out east. They've got the one gigabit plan, 150 bucks a month, but it's unlimited. And they've got a slower plan, which is still faster than pretty well everyone has, <laughs> 250 megabits, which is a quarter of the speed, but still like ultra high fast. Uh, that's $95 a month, but unlimited as well. You know, the challenge we have out west here, uh, uh, Ted, is that uh, most of the plans, you know, with whatever provider you're on, unless you go to some of these third-party uh, guys, they've got uh, data caps, you know, how much you can actually download on a uh, monthly basis. And that doesn't bode well for things like, you know, Netflix and Show Me that are going to be uh, broadcasting in 4K because you're going to blow through that in no time. Yeah, but I think I, I think the market's going to have to head towards unlimited anyway. I, I, I think there's no way that you can, you can market 4K streaming to a consumer and then, uh, you know, put a cap over it. Uh, it's it's just I think it's terrible. Uh, it's a terrible idea from a business standpoint, even to do that. You're clearly not going to make your customers happy uh, just because of the bandwidth involved. I mean, you, you're saying, okay, hey, you can stream in 4K, but we're going to slap this cap on you. It just doesn't work. And and Rogers recognizes that. I mean, Rogers was all about the cap. Yeah, they were all about data caps. They they were kicking and screaming. They raised them because <laughs> smaller third parties were doing it. Yeah. So now they, they've gone unlimited because they're saying, hey, if you want this 4K streaming package from us, then you have to go with this unlimited package that starts at 150. You don't really have the option to go, say, to a 250 megabit per second plan and then stream 4K with that. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're starting you at, at the higher tier to begin with because they recognize that, hey, we can still offer caps at the lower speeds, but not at the higher speeds. Well, no, I think it's heading in the right direction. Uh, I like what, uh, you know, the guys like Rogers and Char are doing with, you know, like uh, their, their Show Me uh, service, for example. They're recognizing that people are getting content in different ways. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think they're on the right track. Uh, Ted, where can people find out uh, more information about you? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, handle is at by Teddy K, like a byline, B-Y, Teddy K. Uh, and uh, at, there's also by Teddy K dot com. I, I aggregate some of the content that I write for uh, different publications, uh, whether it's the Globe and Mail, Mobile Syrup, Wi-Fi, Hi-Fi, What's Your Tech. Um, I, I try to be everywhere, so uh, <laughs> doing doing the best I can. That's uh, Ted Christonos, uh, freelance tech journalist, and uh, again, you can catch uh, all his articles uh, at his site. When we come back, we'll uh, be talking with Brian Jackson, editor over at itbusiness.ca, about uh, his thoughts on what the new liberal government means for Canada's technology policy. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here in studio today. Andy, the prize this week. This week we're giving away the Logic Color Shield. You know, if you have a, an Apple keyboard and you've got sticky fingers or you spill cookie crumbs on it, <laughs> you're going to want this because it can protect your keyboard and, and you can put it in different types of colors. Uh, it's ultra thin and it's a flexible construction which still allows for normal typing. All you have to do to win this prize is go to our website, www.getconnectedmedia.com. On the line right now, we've uh, got our friend Brian Jackson. He's the editor over at uh, itbusiness.ca, uh, a great website for all sorts of uh, business and uh, technology news and information. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Well, I don't know if you uh, caught some of the news this week, Brian, but uh, there's a new government in town. I did notice that, yeah. You did. Good. Well, yeah, uh, I was paying attention. Apparently, you know business and technology. So we uh, wanted to get your mm -hmm. thoughts on what uh, uh, this new liberal government could mean for Canada's uh, technology uh, policy. Well, looking at the liberal platform, they do mention technology in a few areas. And probably the most uh, space that they give on their platform related to technology is around Bill C-51. So we saw the uh, government pass this bill earlier this year, and uh, now we call it the Anti-Terrorism Act that has been passed into law. But basically, this was the act that gave uh, government agencies a lot more capability to share information between each other. And information uh, that's personal to many Canadians. So uh, the Liberals, you know, there, there was a lot of uh, controversy around this bill, and they tried to put forward a few amendments uh, that weren't passed. Ultimately, they voted for that bill, and it was passed into law. But now, uh, on the campaign trail, Justin Trudeau has been saying that he's looking to repeal many sections of them. But I'm wondering, now that they have the majority government, perhaps we'll just see a total overhaul of the bill. Will they just scrap the whole thing and, and go back to the drawing board with it? Do you think they'll do that? Do you think they'll change anything about it? Yeah, I... I Based on what they've been saying, they really uh, have to deliver on a few of the promises, right? They can't just do nothing now, uh, since they did make it a, a significant part of the platform. It came up during the debates. It came up uh, on the campaign trail. So uh, I would expect that they at least follow through on this all-party parliamentary committee that they've committed to, saying that, yes, uh, security agencies will have more power to uh, do certain things, but we're going to hold them accountable accountable with this uh, parliamentary committee. So that, that's going to happen, I'm, I'm sure, uh, eventually. And then we'll see uh, how they handle repealing certain sections or uh, retooling the bill otherwise. This might be good for you, Andy. They won't be able to check what websites you're going on. <laughs> or you. What do you think? <laughs> Not just me, Mike. It's you, too. <laughs> I know. It's me. I was just trying to throw the blame over to you. Um, they also uh, talked about 
uh, the commitment for transparency through technology. Yes, uh, that was interesting. I mean, they they had a few uh, little mentions of uh, we're going to make uh, an open data commitment. So this is some a trend we're seeing uh, in many governments in North America. You know, at, at the provincial level or the state level in the U.S. and uh, the City of Toronto has an open data platform on offer now. So you know, we're we're talking about Canadians' personal data. The open data is an initiative is about making public data more accessible and open to all citizens. So information that the government might hold about uh, any number of things, maybe that the, their public agencies uh, co- collect and store on file that should be accessible to all Canadians. Um, you know, we, we need an open data strategy to make sure that that is being put to as good use as it can be. You know, you also uh, talked about uh, in, in this article I read uh, that the Liberals, liberals uh, looked interested in allowing Canadians to access their own data online. What would that look like? Right, yeah, you wonder. Well, you think about how many different times, like how many times have you walked into a government office and applied for a passport, or maybe you're just getting a driver's license in the province, or you renew your health card, all of these things on the provincial level that you do, and then on the federal level, and you have to go to all these different places to manage that, and then maybe you move and you have to update your address 10 times. It's sort of annoying, so it's more of an annoyance issue, but also a privacy issue in that uh, Canadians should know what data and what information that the the government has about them, and then know that that is accurate information, so that I'm not being misrepresented in some Canadian government database somewhere. And, uh, you know, the Liberals did say they would work towards making one convenient online portal where we could do all of that. So that's an interesting idea. I mean, it's hard to say that could be the priority for uh, their, their first term in office or their first few months in office, but uh, it would be great to see some progress made on that front. Brian, uh, once again, always a pleasure having you on the program. Uh, obviously, people can find out more information about uh, you and uh, your uh, business at itbusiness.ca. Yeah, that's the site, exactly. Thanks again for joining us, Brian. Thanks so much. That was Brian Jackson. When we come back from the break, uh, we'll talk about uh, the contest prize uh, one more time. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back once more with Get Connected. Mike and Andy here with a few minutes left. Uh, Andy, the prize one more time. This week we're giving away the Logic Color Shield for your Apple keyboard. If you're the type of person that gets your keyboard messy from sticky fingers or maybe the cookie crumbs or you spill coffee on it, you're definitely going to want to enter this prize. It's a little shield that you can put right on top of your keyboard. keeps it protected, but you can still have the ability to type just like as you would if you didn't have a, a shield on top. All you got to do is go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. You know, Andy, uh, very, exec- uh, very exciting election, uh, you know, back on uh, Monday. New government in place. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, they're looking at improving some of the technologies here in Canada. Uh, making it more transparent. The one thing that still baffles me is the way we vote. Yeah. Lining up to go into a gymnasium or a church and basically uh, taking your little voter card that they mail to you, yeah. like physically mail to you, and getting your ballot, going behind the little thing there and filling out a paper ballot and then stuffing it in a cardboard box. 
Well, you know, we saw this back in the States when they had their federal election uh, a couple of years ago. And um, they, they tried to move it to more of an online voting. But the problem is, is when everything is digital and you need to do a recount and you don't have that ability, you don't have like little paper stubs to go and, and to recheck. That's where the problems can, can come. Not only that, but the companies that des- would design this entire infrastructure, they have the control and the power to be able to uh, know what the code is. And if somebody could hack into that, you can just imagine the ramifications if somebody was able to infiltrate a voting system and to uh, sway the vote one way or another. Still, I can't help but believe they, they can make this happen somehow. You and know make what? It I, secure. If they can transfer trillions of dollars through online banking, they could do this. I just want baby steps, Mike. And one thing that I really wanted to see and I was hoping to see, I even tweeted about it this week, was if they could just put Wi-Fi cameras at all the voting stations so that you would know what time would be a good time to come to vote because a lot of people got stuck in huge lineups because uh, they all came at the same time. If they just had some Wi-Fi camera, it would be great because then you could kind of just look in to see if, it, if there was a big line or if it was getting shorter so that you would know when the best time is for you to go and vote. Well, that looks like it's all the time we have left. I want to thank the Get Connected team and Andy Barrar, my co-host and producer. Mike and Andy logging off. We'll see you again next week.